Well, good afternoon. Come right on in. We had a wonderful lunch and a wonderful session this morning. Looking forward to these afternoon sessions, which are really right on target with the discussions that we have with our children and grandchildren, uh, fellow students, co-workers, family members. So we really appreciate Kyle Butt of Apologetics Press being here. Again, be sure you peruse the uh, resources out in the foyer. We'll have three afternoon sessions of about an hour, maybe a little less each. After the first one, we'll have a short 10-minute stretch break. And then we'll have, uh, after the second session, we'll have a 15-minute uh, snack break, which will be very light snacks out in the foyer. And, uh, and then Kyle will finish up uh, this afternoon with that last session. Brother? So this young guy had always wanted a Ferrari Testarossa. Never had the money to buy it, but he came into some inheritance money, several million dollars, and so he bought a $500,000 Ferrari Testarossa, convertible, red, exactly what he wanted. And he was driving back through his hometown and wanted everybody to see him, so he would stop at all of the stoplights. If they turned yellow at all, he would stop so everybody could see his vehicle. Well, he stops at this one light, and this older gentleman, looks like he's about 85 years old, on a moped, pulls up right next to him. Now, you know the, uh, the top speed of a moped is about 45 miles an hour. He's just driving around town, but he looks over, and this guy's in a convertible, and he, he yells across. He says, hey, son, that's some kind of car you got there. And the young guy says, well, thank you. Just bought it. It's brand new. The old guy says, wow, you mind if I look in it? And he's got a convertible, and this guy's on a moped, so no problem. He said, yeah, go ahead. So he leans over and looks all in it. He said, "Woo! don't mind me asking, what would a vehicle like that cost? The young guy said, well, it cost me $500,000. Old guy said, $500,000? That's ridiculous. I got this moped for 150 bucks. He said, why in, the, why in the world would you pay that? The young guy said, well, you know, this Ferrari Testarossa, it will go zero to 250 miles an hour in six seconds. Old guy says, no, I don't believe that for a second. There ain't no car worth that. No car goes zero to 250 miles an hour in six seconds. That's a, okay, right before he got that's a lie out of his mouth, the light turned green, and the young guy decided, okay, I'm just going to show this guy. So floors it. <laughs> White smokes the guy, tires, burns rubber, leaves him in the dust. Two seconds into it, he's going 90 miles an hour. Three seconds into it, he's going 120 miles an hour. He looks in his rearview mirror, and he sees something catching up to him. Four seconds into it, he's going 180. <laughs> Guy on the moped blows by him. He's thinking, what is going on? He looks up ahead of him. He sees the guy on the moped turn around, <laughs> blow back by him. He's now going 250 miles an hour. He's been driving for six seconds. He looks in his rearview mirror, and here comes the guy on the moped back again, coming at him at 250 miles an hour, and <laughs> slams into his bumper. Oh, he thinks, oh, no, I have to kill this guy. So he you know, pulls over, stops, pulls over, gets out, and the guy's not hurt, miraculously. He sees the older gentleman there. He says, hey, are you okay? The older gentleman says, yeah, yeah I'm all right. Kind of groggy a little bit. But he says, the young guy says, is there anything I can do for you? The old guy says, yeah, yeah, there's one thing you can do for me. He said, if you could unhook my suspenders from the rearview mirror, you know, that would be real helpful to me. Yeah, I know, I know. So sometimes things get drug around behind things that don't really need to be. And I think, actually, that's what's happened to dinosaurs. I think they've kind of gotten drug around behind a theory that, number one, the theory itself of evolution is not true, but number two, we've allowed, I think, people who teach evolution to hijack one of the most exciting and fun aspects of all of creation, and that is the incredible, amazing, awesome, created dinosaurs that God made on the first week of creation. And we're going to look at the evidence for God creating dinosaurs, them not evolving over millions of years, and how that impacts your understanding of the Bible. Now, as we go through this material, lots of times I'll put up a picture of a dinosaur on the screen, and sometimes I'll divide the group into two groups. Now, numerically, normally it's not a group that is a division exactly with the same numbers. I can have 150, 200 adults and about six kids, 12 and under. 
and I'll divide the adults, so I'll have 250 of them, and they'll be on one team, and the six kids, 12 and under, will be on the other team. And I'll say, okay, guys, just give me the names of these dinosaurs. Who do you think wins when I put 200 adults against six 12 and under kids? Well, you know that the kids most all the time can tell you that's a triceratops. And then if you ask, well, what in the world does triceratops mean? Lots of times they can then go the step further and say tri means three, ceratops means horned face. So triceratops means the three horned face. And then you get to this particular dinosaur, the Stegosaurus, which means armor-plated lizard. And then you get to this one. If you've watched your Jurassic Parks of late, this one I think was in Jurassic Park 2 or 3. This is the Spinosaurus, which in size, as far as height and length, was bigger than the Tyrannosaurus rex, but was probably much more uh, thin-boned and not quite as powerful as the T-Rex. And then you'll get to this one. Now, this one stumps most everyone, but every now and then I'll have a kid who can tell me this dinosaur. Do I have anybody in here? This, yeah, do, do I have somebody that can tell me this dinosaur? What is it? That would be a Pachycephalosaurus. Y'all give it up for the man. Give it up for him. I mean, now, let me ask you a question. You know, show or, or not, you don't have to raise your hand, but did you know that that was a Pachycephalosaurus? No, no, you didn't. And I wouldn't have either had I not been in this field and been researching this for several years. Now, he did. How old are you? Eleven. Okay, twelve and under. See, I yeah, in fact, we could have probably put him up here by himself against all of y'all, and he probably could have smoked us all. Um, Pachycephalosaurus, probably many of you wives think that your husband is very much like this because that is the hard-headed dinosaur. Pachy, meaning very hard or thick or or stiff, and cephala, meaning head, saurus, meaning dinosaur. This is the hard-headed dinosaur. But maybe some of you husbands, well, never mind, we won't go there, but pachycephalosaurus. Quick question. If you didn't know the answer to that, and he did, where'd he get it? Okay, let me ask you the next one, which is similar. Where did you know, where do you know he didn't get it? Well, or from you. If he knew it and you didn't, he didn't get it from you. So he's having to get it from someone else. That's the point. Now, what I'd like to think is he happened to get Dinosaurs Unleashed from Apologetic Express that has a feature of the Pachycephalosaurus, and he read that and knows Pachycephalosaurus because he actually did get it from somebody in the church, and it happened to be somebody that was teaching the truth about the Bible and creation and dinosaurs. But what I'm going to show, you know what I think you know, is that much of the information that our kids intake on dinosaurs and various aspects of creation that are associated with dinosaurs, like marine reptiles and flying reptiles and things of that nature, they're not getting that from a source that is teaching them all of the picture. And as we look at that, I'm going to show you why this is so very important. Of course, there's my favorite and yours probably, the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Anybody familiar with dinosaurs just can't help but like the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Now, there's good reason for that. You know, they have a mouth that is full of about 60 razor sharp steak knife like serrated teeth they literally literally have serration on the sides of the teeth little jagged serration that is designed to bite off huge chunks of meat in fact the five and a half foot skull of a tyrannosaurus rex they suggest to us based on the bone structure and the musculature could have bitten off a single bite that weighed 500 pounds so you're talking taking a row at a time here. A Tyrannosaurus rex could have done that. And when you show a kid a creature that was 20 feet tall at the hips, 32 feet or so high, when it would stand upright and has a mouth that is full of 60 razor-sharp teeth, some of them the size 13 inches of a very large banana that can take a bite of something that weighs 500 pounds. Now, that's fascinating. That's interesting. That's something that kids want to know about and I think when I have traveled around and spoken on dinosaurs adults do too and are interested in and fascinated by dinosaurs as you look at this you then read 
in virtually every book that teaches anything about dinosaurs, a singular idea that's trying to be presented to the readers. This is a magic school bus book. I don't know if you can read the fine print. I'll read it for you. But this is put out by PBS, Public Broadcasting Systems, which means our government says, hey, we want kids to know certain things. We want them to know what's on and in this book, The Magic School Book. Now, in this, we have these kids on the bus, and you have this bus driver who's looking back, and she is encouragingly smiling at these kids who are involved in looking at the B.C. Boy comic. And in this B.C. Boy comic, we have this kid right here say, this story is make-believe because you've got a Tyrannosaurus Rex that's chasing a caveman with a club, and he's saying that, oh, what is that, dog? Yes, but this is not a dog. And then there were no dinosaurs in the time of cave people. Now stop right there and think through what's being said with those two little captions. Number one, the idea is that millions of years ago, there were some type of primate ancestors to humans that over a course of several hundred thousand or millions of years, they evolved from very imbecilic, brutish, creature-like entities to somehow moving up toward humans. And they call these entities cave people. And you know the picture that's presented to us is brute, browed, knuckle-dragging, could hardly even communicate. In fact, if they wanted a girlfriend, they just went over to the nearest tribe of cave people and whacked her on the head and drug her back. And, you know, I know that was 40, 50 years ago for some of you, and that's why you're still... But, I mean, cavemen, that, that's what we're told actually was the case. And yet, when you look at the biblical explanation for humankind, the biblical explanation doesn't have humans evolving from some lower primate up into some elevated, very smart person. The biblical idea of creation has God creating Adam and Eve in, an, in a sinless, very intelligent state so that the minute they are created, they can actually communicate with the Creator. They then have the mental capacity to name all of the different kinds of animals. And I was doing a seminar and I was talking about how Adam named all the animals and I had one girl come up and she said, you mean to tell me Adam named all the animals? And I said, yeah, I named every one of them. She said, did he name one dog Spot and one dog Fluffy? And one... I said, well, okay, he didn't name each individual animal. I said he named the kinds of animals. Now, we don't know exactly what language he spoke. Maybe it was some early Hebrew-type language, some people suggest. But when he named the animals, he would name the cattle kind and the cat kind and the dog kind and the horse kind. He wouldn't name each horse. So, as you're looking at that, Adam was so intelligent that he was communicating with God, had all of the animals paraded before him, and he named each kind of animal, and there wasn't an animal that was found that was suitable helper for him. Now, quick question. Do you think the bear kind of animals were paraded in front of Adam? Sure. We don't have a problem with that. Do you think the horse kind, the dog kind, the cat kind, do you think the dinosaur kind was paraded before Adam? It's almost a trick question, isn't it? Because in virtually every single book you'll ever read about dinosaurs, you're told that dinosaurs and humans were separated by 65 million years. You see, what we're told in most dinosaur books is about 220 million years ago, dinosaurs first started to evolve, and they evolved and ruled the planet from 220 million years ago to about 65 million years ago. And some huge meteor struck the Yucatan Peninsula down close to Mexico, about six miles wide, and caused a massive die-off extinction event. And all of the dinosaurs died 65 million years ago. And then what you're told is that humans in one shape, form, or fashion did not evolve until about two to three million years ago. Our ancient primate-type ancestors, and then about... Oh, 500,000 years ago or somewhere, then regular homo sapiens, smart humans like we are, came around. That's not what the Bible teaches. And so you're presented with these two ideas. Okay, either the Bible is true and God really did create Adam and Eve and he 
brought Adam into existence from the dust and breathed life into him and created Eve from his rib. Or there's this evolution idea that says humans evolved from lower primates and dinosaurs and humans never lived together. And Do you know that dinosaurs are one of the major issues we run into in trying to teach people that the Bible is God's word? Now, what I find very interesting in that regard was it wasn't a problem for me growing up. I never really understood any conflict between this. I just always thought God made dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are at creation, no problem. But then as you look at it, what you realize is if what you read in these books is true, then the Bible cannot be. And as you look at Flory's statement, no people ever saw a dinosaur by Flory. When early humans appeared on earth, dinosaurs had been dead for millions of years. People found out about dinosaurs from fossils. Do you know when early humans appeared on earth was day six of creation? When did all of the land-living creatures appear on earth? Day six of creation. And by that time, Adam was then commissioned to name them. And so you really do have two conflicting ideas here. Now, what we'll look at in a different lesson is how some people try to mix these two ideas and say, well, evolution is true and creation is true, and you just got to shove them together and hope it works. And we'll see that that doesn't work in our final lesson today. But what we then see is just how important some people view this question of dinosaurs. And when I say some people, this is not me saying this. This is a gentleman by the name of Dr. Philip Kitcher, He's got a book titled Abusing Science, The Case Against Creationism. Stephen Jay Gould, renowned evolutionist, said this is a brilliant book. And in this book, he says that if you could find solid evidence for the coexistence of dinosaurs and humans, it would shake the foundations of evolutionary theory. Now, if you did not get excited at my animation right there, it's all downhill from there. This is the only slide that has any animation whatsoever. And so if that is not captivating and thrilling to you and you think, oh, I can stay awake through this, then you might as well tap out right now because that is as good as it gets, shaking the foundations of evolutionary theory. But now notice, listen to what he says. We as evolutionists have put a lot on the back of dinosaurs. And if the creationists, if people who believe in the Bible could show that humans and dinosaurs lived at the same time, you wouldn't be trimming off a branch of evolution. You wouldn't be topping off the tree. You would be shaking the foundations of evolutionary theory. Now, what I find so troubling is that even though we do this, uh, and what I mean is I'm about to show you legitimate scientific, historic, and biblical evidence that nails down the overwhelming, absolute, irrefutable fact that dinosaurs and humans were made on the exact same creation week and were not separated by 65 million years old. Million years. We've done this. But it's not as if at the end of us having done this, people say, oh, okay, the foundation of the evolution have been shaken. And don't think that that will often be the response when you present this information. You know, lots of times I'll have a young person come up to me and they'll say, hey, I was talking to my friend about dinosaurs and I presented all the stuff that you presented to us and they said that's all wrong and we still don't believe it. Okay, don't think that just because you've got the truth and you present it, then the other person is going to say, oh, okay, I understand that, and then they're going to accept it. Did Jesus Christ have the truth? Absolutely. Did he present it to any number of people who looked the God of heaven in the flesh, in the eye, and said, no, I don't believe that, and I'm not going to be a part of anything you're doing? Yes. So let's not pretend that if we really do show this to people, they will say, oh, you know, appreciate it. Thank you. Now, however, have we on many occasions presented this factual, true information to people who had been misled but were sincere and honest-hearted, and they said, never seen that. That answers tons of my questions. I want to know more. And they became Christians and understood the biblical account. Yes. So there will be some that do. But just because a person doesn't accept the truth is not a problem for the truth. It's a problem for that person, and we run into that all the time. Lots of times I'll have somebody say, hey, you got anything to prove that God exists? And I'll say, yeah, we've got some good stuff. They'll take it to the person. They'll say, ah, that didn't work. What else you got? 
as if the argument or the piece of information or evidence was wrong and somehow we could just get them the right piece of evidence. You know, lots of times I think about how when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and the people who didn't want to believe in Jesus, they witnessed and saw that a miracle had been done and their response was, now people are believing in Jesus and so we need to kill Jesus and Lazarus because Jesus brought Lazarus back from the grave and we don't want to believe in Jesus so we just need to now eliminate them both. Instead of saying, we just witnessed something we've never seen in the world, and the only way this could work is if this person who's speaking, saying they're from God, actually is and brought somebody back from the grave. That's the only way that could happen. But it didn't matter what information was presented. And so you've got to calculate that in as you present these discussions. Now, here's the quick question. Really simple. Let me preface this by saying, I'm figuring that most of you in here are Christians and or believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. If you don't, if we have visitors in here who are atheists or who do not believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, okay, uh, this point is not necessarily for you, although I think you would be interested to know what the Bible really does teach on this. I'm presenting this point to people who really want to know, okay, what's the Bible say about dinosaurs? Now, if you've got your Bibles, I will wait for you to turn to the passage that mentions the name and or word dinosaur in it. Just go ahead. I got time. I mean, Bill said I got at least an hour or a little more. Is that what I heard? That's what I... A little less, these say? Oh, well. So now I could stand here and wait all afternoon, and that's what will be happening because the word dinosaur is not in your Bible. Why in the world is the word dinosaur not in your Bible if these creatures are so very important and were created at the same time as humans? Why is the, the name of the creature not in the Bible? You know, that's a really good question. Turn the Bible to the place that mentions kangaroos. Koala bears? Duckbill platypi. I'm not sure that the plural is platypi, but it sounds real cool. Okay, well, there's no place in your Bible that mentions kangaroos or duckbill platypi or koala bears. Does that mean God didn't make them? No, and we've never thought that. In fact, when we picture creation, we would always think of Adam being there with lions and tigers and bears and duckbill platypuses and kangaroos. But there's a reason we don't, in our minds, picture dinosaurs. Because in virtually every book that we've ever read about dinosaurs, we were told humans and dinosaurs were separated by 65 million years. And yet, nobody would suggest that the Bible, because it doesn't mention kangaroos, means God didn't create them during the creation week. Nobody would suggest that because it doesn't mention koala bears, then somehow they don't factor in. Okay, so does the Bible mention dinosaurs? Yes, it does, indirectly. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. And here's what that text says. It's very easy to understand. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. What would all that is in them include? Would it include kangaroos? Sure. Koala bears? Absolutely. Duckbill platypuses? Sure. Dinosaurs? Yes. It includes everything, all of it. So when does the Bible say everything was made? In six days, the first six days of creation. And when we think about Adam naming the lions, we don't have a problem with that. Adam naming the bears, don't have a problem. Adam naming kangaroos, no problem. Adam naming dinosaurs, should be no problem. But because every single book that we've ever read from a secular standpoint teaches that no human being's ever seen a live dinosaur, we then think somehow it's a problem with dinosaurs. Okay, no, it's not. It's the exact same situation with kangaroos and koala bears. So does the Bible indirectly mention dinosaurs? Yes. Now, why doesn't it use the word dinosaur? You know, that's a real good question, and it's a real simple answer. Uh, the bulk of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and so the word dinosaur is not a Hebrew word. The bulk of the New Testament is written in Greek, and Greek's not a, the dinosaur's not a Greek word. In fact, the first books of the, I mean, the last books of the Old Testament were written before 100 A.D. The entirety of the Old Testament was written before about 400 B.C. 
And so these books, some of them are written 3,500 years ago. When was the word dinosaur invented? You know, in 1822, a man by the name of Gideon Mantell, his wife found the first recognized dinosaur fossil. It was a tooth that looked like an iguana tooth, except it was about 20 times bigger than any iguana tooth anybody had ever seen. And they said, wow, this looks exactly like an iguana tooth, but it's 20 times bigger than any iguana tooth we've ever seen. We're going to name it iguana tooth. Or the formal word was iguanodon. When you go to an orthodontist, they deal with your teeth. Iguanodon meant iguana tooth. And that was the first dinosaur that was discovered in 1822. By 1841, so many of them had been discovered, different dinosaurs, that they invented a new English word. Dinosaur, meaning very great or fearfully great lizard. It's an English word that was invented in 1841. And your New Testament was done 1,740 years before that, and your Old Testament was finished about 2,000 years before that. And so if you're looking for the word dinosaur in your Bibles, it's not going to be there because the word wasn't invented until 1,740 years after the Bible books were finished. So, next question. If the creatures were there, they wouldn't have been called dinosaurs. What would they have been called? Now, that's a good question, and the answer to that is real simple. You find a creature that if you match the description of a dinosaur, then you would clearly understand, okay, here this creature is described its physical traits. Do those physical traits match a dinosaur? Since we know the word wasn't invented, they had to be called something else besides dinosaurs. So what might you call a creature that was what we would call a dinosaur, but what they called... Well, let's find out. You know, I believe that as you go to the book of Job, you get to Job chapter 40, verses 15 through 24, and you get God describing a creature called the behemoth. Now, here's what's interesting about this particular discussion. Job has come to God and said, God, I don't think you're treating me fairly, and I believe if you come and talk to me, I'll be able to present my case in such a way that you will see I'm kind of right here and you're kind of not. So God comes down and says, Job, let me ask you some questions. Where were you when I created everything? Can you make the day happen every single day and the night happen every single night? Can you feed all of the animals every single day? Can you make sure justice gets meted out to everybody on the earth? Do you know where the snow and the ice, how they get down to planet earth? No, you don't know any of this stuff. And then he gets to chapter 40, and then he says, okay, now, I'm just going to direct your attention to some things. Look at the behemoth that I made along with you. Now, I don't think there are accidental phrases in the Bible. And I think which I made along with you is intentionally put there because I believe God foresaw in the future that people would claim something that's not true. And what God is telling Job is, you know what a behemoth looks like because I created him the same time I created you. Okay, well, what does he look like? This is supposed to be the biggest creature on planet Earth that walks on land at the time. That's God's whole point. I created this creature. He's amazing and awesome. That means I'm awesomer, if awesomer is even a word, but we'll use it in this context. Now... Here is the 1901 American Standard Version. This is the text, behemoth. Do you know what behemoth sounds like in Hebrew? Behemoth. Now, that's the southern Tennessee dialectical accent of somebody raised in the country saying it in Hebrew, which it's got a lot more like behemoth. You know, it's the same thing, though. I took a little Hebrew, and anyway, I can't pronounce it right. I pronounce it like I do. But here's what the translators did for you. Oh, they were so kind and nice to you. They said, we cannot translate the word behemoth. And here's why. It's not a, transli it's not a translated word. It's a transliterated word. A translated word is where you know the word in English or the other language, and you translate it into the other language. So, like, if you're speaking Spanish and you know the word for dog, in English. Well, in English, the word's dog. In Spanish, it's perro. 
And so you translate dog into perro in English or vice versa, perro into dog. And they don't sound a thing alike. They don't start with a D. They don't have the, I mean, they, they don't sound anything alike. They're translated words because you know the creature in this language and you know the creature in that language. You use a different word. A transliterated word is when you don't have any idea what the creature is, so you can't translate it, so you just repeat the sounds in the next language. So in Hebrew, the first sound is ba, the second sound is ma, is ha, the third sound is ma, fa. So in Hebrew, it sounds like English, behemoth, and then you say, okay, well, what does that mean? And the translators are basically saying, we don't know, figure it out yourself. And so the American Standard 1901 translator said, well, this is supposed to be an elephant or a hippopotamus. Quick question. Uh, if they in 1901 had in front of them a larger land-living creature, would they have said it's supposed to be that one? Yes. Uh, they just said elephant or hippopotamus because that's the biggest land-living stuff we've got. Now, let's see about the description. He eats grass like an ox. See now his strength is in his hips, his powers, and his stomach muscles. He moves his tail like a cedar. Now, in the Bible, when the biblical writers mention anything about a cedar, what was the point? Okay, the point's really simple. Whatever it is you're talking about and you correspond it to a cedar, you're not talking about a little cedar branch like you might whittle into a a cane. You're talking about the biggest tree that they understood grew at the time, and everything that they associated with this was really big. Now, now read that. Psalm 92, 12. The righteous shall flourish like a cedar. Assyria was a cedar of high stature, whose height was like the height of a cedar. Thus says God, I will also make you like one of the highest branches of the high cedar. Now, this is a picture of an oriental cedar. They could grow to be 150 feet tall. Those are grown men at the base of this oriental cedar. Six of them could connect hands and barely get around the base of that massive tree. Whatever creature God is saying shows his awesome power, named a behemoth, has a tail that swings like a cedar. Okay, well, let's go to the suggestion that it's a hippopotamus or an elephant. Does that, I mean, do we even have to ask? Not a cedar. The hippopotamus has a small flat tail designed to spread fertilizer in water-type river situations. Now, now, seriously, would anybody ever look at either of those two creatures and say, I mean, swings his tail like a cedar? No. Why would you in 1901 even suggest that the behemoth would be an elephant or a hippopotamus? Do you know people have tried to say, well, it's not really talking about his tail, and it's real figurative, and it's... There's no way you can imply some mental gym, employ mental gymnastics to get behemoth description to say that the tail is not a massive feature. It's, God could, could say anything he wanted to about the behemoth, and he picks basically three things, his, his strength in his hips and his stomach muscles and his tail. Okay, is there a description of a creature in the past that, that did have a tail that swung like a cedar? Yeah. The humongous plant-eating dinosaurs, some of them that were 128 feet long, had tails that were 80 to 90 feet in length? Does that creature match the description of a behemoth much more than anything we've got on planet Earth alive today? Absolutely. No question. Why in the world, if you had that creature or you had this creature, would you point to this one and say, this one shows your awesome power. When in Egypt, there was a harpoon, the hippopotamus day. And the hippopotamuses weren't all that formidable. And yet there's a creature that really did swing his tail like a cedar. He was called a behemoth. 
and that matches exactly what we would expect from a book. They suggest to us that Job was one of the very first books of the Old Testament, maybe written even before the Pentateuch was, just after the flood. And he says, there's this creature that I'm going to call a behemoth that I made at the same time I made as you, and he is an example of my awesome power, and he's got a tail as big as a tree. Matches what we know of a plant-eating dinosaur perfectly. And so, do I think we then have biblical evidence that says, okay, number one, we know he created dinosaurs on the sixth day because they were land-living creatures. And number two, we've got some descriptions of some creatures like the behemoth that in the Bible match exactly what if somebody in the ancient time had lived with and seen dinosaurs, they would have described this creature exactly like that. Yeah, sure. Now, the next question is simply, what does history say about it? Hey, if people really did live with dinosaurs in the past, wouldn't you have some stories or accounts or something of these creatures that people interacted with? Wouldn't you have some evidence for that? Sure. Okay, Kyle, now you're getting crazy right here. Putting up the ubiquity of dragon legends. Do you know historically that word dragon was used in a context of a natural historical discussion of a creature that everybody recognized. And here's what I mean. They would say, okay, a dog is a furry, four-legged creature that normally ranges from this and this. And then they would say, a deer is a four-legged creature that runs and it's an ungulate. And, and a dragon is a sometimes two-legged, sometimes four-legged, sometimes no-legged. And it would describe just a, a dragon. Now, when I talk to you about a dragon, what immediately comes to your mind? A hobbit where there's some type of very intelligent actual personality in this huge dragon form that can talk to Bilbo Baggins, the hobbit, or something like that, and you think of these creatures. But dragon, historically, was used to describe a long, knobby-headed, big lizard that could have four legs, two legs, or no legs. And those descriptions are all throughout the writings of ancient people. Notice, dragons are found in myths and legends of cultures all around the world. Now, this guy is an evolutionist. He is not a creationist. People all over the world believed in dragons. What do you mean believed in dragons? They talked about them. They talked about their knights going out and killing them because a dragon was terrorizing the landscape and eating everybody's sheep. And then you have, there's one Creature remembered in legends of almost every human culture that's ever existed. A creature depicted with remarkable similarity by the Chinese, the Aztecs, the Inuit who live in the frozen land where no reptiles are found. Even they have stories of this animal, the dragon. Cultures from different continents, people who had no contact with one another, yet all of them have stories describing this same creature. Okay, you've got Eskimos in the frozen areas of the world who say, we used to live with these creatures that were big reptiles. You've got Aztecs who say, we had these big reptiles, some of them snake-like, some of them have two legs, some of them have four legs. You've got the Chinese, every culture, all over the world. They said they didn't copy each other, and yet all the descriptions sound very similar. Okay, so as we continue, notice what we find here. This creature right here is in the museum of, the Children's Museum of Indianapolis. We found it in 2003. The name of it is Draco Rex. Draco meaning dragon, Rex meaning king, dragon king. The official name is Draco Rex Hogwarsia. Can anybody tell me why the official name is Draco Rex Hogwartsia? The king dragon lizard from Hogwarts. The make-believe school of witchcraft and wizardry in the Harry Potter books. Because they said, look, man, when we dug this dinosaur up, we know it's a dinosaur, but it looks exactly like a dragon. In fact, it looks exactly like a dragon that you might read about in the Harry Potter books. Meaning Dragon King, here's what they said, one of the placards. When we saw this creature's head, we weren't sure what kind of dinosaur it was. Its spiky horns and bumps and long muzzle looked more like a dragon. Let's put the pieces together here. Every culture across the world has talked about dragons, described them in similar ways. We dig up the bones of a creature that matches the description so well, we call it the dragon king. 
and we don't make a connection that this dinosaur that we know once existed lived with people in the past and they described it and called it a dragon. If you lived back then and you saw a creature that looked like this and you didn't have the word dinosaur and you called it a dragon, you would be then doing exactly what those ancient cultures did. And when we dig this up, we should have said, oh, hey, our creature we call a dinosaur was their creature they called a dragon. Now, do these stories sometimes get exaggerated? Like little Johnny might say he caught a 100-pound fish when it only weighed 50. Yes, maybe. Seeing as the average dinosaur was only the size of rhinoceros, some of them were the sizes of chickens, would a knight go out and maybe kill a horse-sized big lizard and say it was three times that to make himself look cooler? Maybe. But is this exactly what you would expect from people that lived at the same time as these creatures? Absolutely. It's a new type of dinosaur that looks like a dragon. Exactly like you would expect from a historical standpoint. Now, let's move on to the next idea of dinosaurs. Okay, number one, we've got the Bible placing dinosaurs and humans together. Number two, we've got the dragon stories that place dinosaurs and humans together just the same. And then number three, you know, if you go to a zoo and you want your buddies to know what you saw at the zoo... You take your phone, and, and what would you do? Take a picture of it, probably, and you might send it to them or bring it back. But they didn't have phones in the past. I mean, I know this is like at least 10 years ago or 20, and so those were non-existent. And so if they wanted somebody to know they had seen a certain creature, what would they do? Now, this is the Natural Bridges National Monument. That's my coworker, Eric Lyons. We went to the Natural Bridges National Monument because we had heard that there was a carving right here on the side of the Kachina Natural Bridge. And we went and found that carving. And when we got there, we were not disappointed. Now, you can't see the relief very good, but these carvings are interesting. They're all from a group of Indians that it's covered with a desert varnish. You can't fake the carvings. And everybody recognizes that they're authentic about 500 to 1,500 years ago. I mean, 500 to 1,500 A.D. And I'm going to enhance this one for you so you can see it. That was, the that was the carving that we went out to see. Now, we got out there about 5 in the morning, and the office of the state park was not open. And so we took a bunch of pictures, came back to the office, and she said, hey, where'd you guys go this morning? We said, we went to the Kachina Natural Bridge. And she said, oh, did you see the weird carving? We said, which one? Now, we knew what she was saying, but wanted her to tell us. She said, the one that looks like a dinosaur. We said, yeah, yeah, we saw it. We said, how do they explain it? Talking about evolutionists, how do they explain it? She said, well, they don't really want to. She said, and it was too early to be a horse. Basically saying that the Spanish had not brought horses into the North American continent until after this was carved. And just incidentally, I always thought that one was humorous because does that look anything like a horse to you? Who says it's a horse and who would well, it was too early to be a, you know, it was probably too early to be a kangaroo too, but nobody says it's that either. It's too early to be a crocodile. Yeah, that, well, okay. She said, some people think it's a dinosaur, but they're crazy. Great. You know, there's a picture not far from this of an ibex. Looks just like an ibex. Some people think it's an ibex, but they're crazy. You know, there's one of a human figurine. Some people think it's a human figurine, but they're crazy. Why? You show this to any third grader and ask a simple question, what's it look like? You know what they tell you it looks like? A deformed horse. Every one of them to date have... No, they never, never had anybody tell me it looked like a deformed horse. You know what they say it looks like? A dinosaur. Well, what do you think it is? If you think it's a dinosaur, you're crazy. Why? Because every book from secular sources that you've ever read says dinosaurs and humans were not together. Let me tell you, let's just do something, really. If you see a picture that looks like an ibex that's carved on the side of the wall, what do you think it is? An ibex. You see one that looks like a crocodile carved on the side of a wall. What do you think it is? Crocodile. You see one that looks like a horse carved on the side of the wall or a buffalo carved on the side of the wall. You see one that looks like a dinosaur carved on the side of the wall. What do you think it is? A dinosaur. And the only reason you'd think different was if every single resource you've ever been introduced to said no human being could ever see a live dinosaur. This is a statement from Fran Barnes. He's an evolutionist. I think it's so interesting the way he writes this. He says, uh, 
There is a petroglyph in the Natural Bridges National Monument that bears a startling... My bad. Was that startling to you? Yes, a, a startling resemblance to a dinosaur. Now, what is startling? What's the word mean? You know, it means something happens that you're not expecting. My mother, years ago, she was a wonderful, wonderful lady. Still is. And one of the reasons that I think she was so wonderful is because she allowed things like this to happen. Although... She wasn't a real big fan, but felt like we maybe needed the experience. So dad would go to the feed barn, feed the cows, and then he would come home with stuff in a sack. He never knew what it was. One day he came home with a big groundhog that he had caught in the sack, and we were going to get to have a groundhog for a pet for a little while. That lasted about three minutes. Uh, another time he brought home a, a six-foot-long black snake and gave it to me and my two brothers as our new pet. And we thought, this is exciting. So I've always loved snakes for some reason. Mine have been because of this. So, you know, we played with that snake, let it wrap around our arms, and it was fun to have. We found us a little old aquarium that didn't have any water in it. We put it in there. And we had a screened-in room on the outside of our house at the time. And we put that out there because mom's patience only would go so far. And she wasn't going to let us bring it all the way in the house. It had to stay out on the screened porch type thing. Well, we got up the next day, thought our security measures were good enough, but they were not and the snake was gone. But there was this little place under the screen where the bottom of the screen thing didn't really go all the way down to the ground where a snake could easily have crawled out. And you know kids, if they lose something, they look for it for about 3.2 seconds, and then if they can't find it, you know, we've got something in my house that says if mama can't find it, then it's really lost. Well, you know, generally speaking, that's true. So we, we looked and looked for this snake, didn't find it, figured it got out. About three days later, my mom goes into her closet looking for some shoes. You know, why is that troubling? Girls go in the closet looking for shoes all the time. I mean, this is nothing big here. But she was startled. She was startled. Because she was looking for shoes. And when we heard her scream, we realized probably the last six-foot-long black snake we're going to get to have at our house. She found a six-foot-long black snake in her closet, wrapped around her favorite high heel shoes, and she was startled because she wasn't expecting it, right? When you look at this, why would a person who is an evolutionist say that there's a monument that has a drawing on it that bears a startling resemblance to a dinosaur? This guy's an evolutionist. He's always been told humans and dinosaurs never lived together. In fact, they were separated by 65 million years. He comes to a carving that he has to admit is as old as all the rest of them. And he says, and it looks like a dinosaur, and that's startling to me. Well, why is that startling? Because you're finding something somewhere you don't expect it. You expect that these Indians had no concept of what a dinosaur looked like because they're supposed to be separated from these creatures by 65 million years, and yet these Indians draw something that looks just like a dinosaur, according to you, and it startles you. Now, what I find interesting, is that startling to a creationist? No, it's exactly what you expect. Hey, guess what? Not even scary a bit. In fact, we'd figure there's more out there like that, and there are, that we don't have the time to deal with. One of those we do have the time to deal with is by a man named Javarman VII. He created this temple complex for his mother. And we know it was built in 1187 A.D. And on one of the long corner pillars, there are some carvings of, you know, what looks like maybe some type of livestock that has horns and very small tail. And then there's this, this creature. Now, if you show that, to any number of third graders. They're going to tell you it looks like a dinosaur, and then you say, well, which one? What, what's, what kind of dinosaur does it look like? They're going to say, well, it looks like a stegosaurus. It's got these little, like, looks like plates on its back. Got a thick body, a long tail. Now, if you're an evolutionist, you cannot say it's fake because they're like 40 tons of rock above it. It's got the same little black stuff, patina, in it that all of the rest of the whole temple complex has. It dates to the same time as all the rest of the temple complex. You can't say it's fake. It's impossible. So your only option is to say, well, it doesn't really look like a dinosaur. Okay, well, what's it look like? Nah, I don't know. Uh, 
pig with bushes behind it. You know we've gotten that with the straight face? That's not really a dinosaur. It looks more like a pig with bushes behind it. You know, that's remarkably well-manicured bushes that fit on the back of the pig with a really thick tail. And, okay, I mean, if you want to say it looks like a pig with bushes behind it, you can, but tell that to a bunch of third graders. And they're going to look at you and say, a pig with bushes behind it? You know why? Because it doesn't look like that. What creature do we have that that best matches? Well, as you look at a person who was involved in writing about the... Oh, I didn't get his quote there. Too bad. We'll get to that in a minute. But we have a quote from a guy who does the research on rock art of that particular Cambodia area. That's all he does. He's not a friend of the creation movement. Here's all he says. Hey, there's this one picture that has a really remarkable resemblance to a stegosaurus. And just admits it. Why? Because it does. So, if you lived in the past, you didn't have a camera, and you wanted people to know that you lived with these creatures, what might you do? Carve some of them. Put them on your temples. Put them on the walls where you carve an ibex, and you carve all kinds of other stuff. Okay, now this is the, the clincher to me. So fascinating to me. You know, several years ago, I think back in 2005 now, but now we found, yeah, 2005, but now we found scores of this. This, is, this happens, we probably found 100 samples of this. So a lady by the name of Mary Schweitzer was looking at a Tyrannosaurus rex femur, the big leg bone. She accidentally, they accidentally broke it open. When she looked into it, it was supposed to be a 65, 70-million-year-old fossil, meaning that should have been around for 70 million years, and all the stuff inside of it should be gone and replaced by rock. It shouldn't have any soft tissue, organic material left in it. So she looks closer and she says, you know what, I think there's something in there. She then does the experiment five times to make sure because the first time she doesn't believe her eyes because if this thing is really 70 million years old, this should never be the case. She then finds stretchy collagen that they can grab with tweezers, pull it, and let go. It snaps back together like a rubber band. And what's left of red blood cells in this Tyrannosaurus rex femur. She doesn't want to report her findings to the world because she's afraid she'll lose her job. Why in the world would you be afraid you'll lose your job for finding soft tissue in a dinosaur fossil? Well, because if this dinosaur fossil is supposed to be 70 million years old, there's no possible way it should have any soft tissue left in it. And yet it does. Do you know what should have happened in that case? Hey, we've been wrong as evolutionists. This cannot be a 70 million year old bone. It has to be within hundreds or a few thousand at the most. No way it could even be in the millions. We're wrong. We've got to change our whole dating method. The foundations of evolution have just been shaken. Do you know what did happen? Oh, huh. we didn't know soft tissue could last for 70 million years. Now we've got to find some mechanism that we can say did. And so they have slapped on. They said, well, maybe the iron in the blood allowed it to last for 70 million years. Folks, do you, you do understand that the entirety of all written human history is only 5,000 years old. That's the oldest oldest thing we've got in writing is 5,000. You've got somehow a, a element of iron allowing red blood cells to last for 70 million years. That is the most unscientific, unrepeatable, ridiculous idea you will ever hear in any type of dating discussions. But if it's wrong, then you've got dinosaur bones that are supposed to be 70 million years old that got soft tissue in them that makes them only a few hundred or maybe a few thousand at the most. And that would shake the foundations of evolutionary theory and nobody wants those shaking, do they? At least not in the communities that are writing about these types of materials. Well, so the next question. Where did the dinosaurs go? That's a really good question. You've never seen one, have you? You know, that's kind of a trick question. You ever seen a really big lizard, like a Komodo dragon? You know what I love about a Komodo dragon? Komodo dragons can get to be five, five and a half feet long. They can weigh 200 pounds, and they can eat 80% of their own body weight in 15 minutes. Much like some of your teenage boys. They can, here's what that means. They go into a meal weighing 100 pounds. They come out of the meal weighing 80, 185 pounds. 
They have 50 types of poisonous uh, bacteria in their mouth so that if they bite something, it almost immediately gets infected and dies. And they can run as fast as a horse can jog for short distances from about here to the door. That's designed so that if they see a wild pig, they can run up to the wild pig as fast as a horse could gallop or jog, and they can bite the wild pig. It will then run off and die, and a group of them go find it and eat every bit of it in 10 minutes. That's a pretty big, big lizard. Now, we have basically defined dinosaurs out of existence because saltwater crocodiles can get to be 30 feet long. Certain alligators can get to be 24 feet long and weigh 2,000 pounds. There's some really big lizards still around. But these dinosaurs, as they've defined them, the big lizards with a certain hip structure, they have said, well, they're extinct. Okay, yeah, they are extinct. So the question is, where did they go? You go to the Dinosaur National Monument. You look inside here. There's no wall. It's built on a cliff, and that's the wall. They literally built the building on the, si on the side of the cliff so that the wall is composed of dinosaur fossils. And as you read about these dinosaur fossils, you see this placard that describes what they say happened. And then you see after a seasonal flood, this scene of 145 million years ago is based on clues. And the carcass is brought downstream by fast-moving, muddy water. Do you know as you start looking at all the dinosaur discoveries and the fossil finds, what you see in almost everyone, a regional flood, a local flood, a flash flood, a seasonal flood, a flood, 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 flood. And here's why you see that, because when the people rode trains out west and they literally plowed down with new repeating rifles the buffalo that were grazing on the plain, they didn't leave fossils. You run over a possum, they don't leave fossils. What do you have to do to fossilize something? You have to bury it real quick, get it away from an oxygen-rich environment and away from any bugs and parasites and things that will carry it off. Most all the time, fossilization occurs in a watery environment. So all over the world, you have these big, massive fossil graveyards, and in virtually every single one, you read that it was caused by a flood. Is there a flood that would be a really good explanation for how you've got fossilized dinosaur graveyards that have literally thousands of dinosaur bones in one place all jumbled together because of massive catastrophic action? Sure. There's a real good explanation. Noah's flood. Now, if you've been keeping up with this, though, you know that we also have some dragon slash dinosaur descriptions that go back to the Anasazi Indians, some of them the Inuits and the Aztecs. That was post-flood. So any dinosaur that lived after the flood, if it was a land-living creature, and they are by definition, would have had to have been on the... Okay, Ham, your turn to feed the T-Rex today. I fed him yesterday. That's so why my arm's in a sling. Not doing it again today. You know, I don't know, I don't know how that would have played out. I think there might have been some, some divine interaction with some hibernating-type things going on, et cetera. But here's the thing. If you've got two Argentinosauruses that were 110 feet long and weighed 100 tons apiece, and you've got the description of the ark, how in the world are you going to put all of those on the ark? At least two of different kinds, and there were probably several kinds of dinosaurs. That's a really good question. You know, you ask the question, well, why are they extinct now? There's all kinds of animals extinct now, woolly mammoths and saber-toothed tigers. Do you know there are more animals extinct now than we actually have? So that if you were to look at the animals that were created at the beginning and then to look at how many we actually have now, how many of the kinds, some people suggest that 98% of all the animals that ever lived have gone extinct. Now, I think that might be a little high, but we don't have dodo birds. They're extinct now. Why? Well, you know why a dodo bird went extinct. Because they didn't fly, they weren't afraid of people, and they taste like chicken. And they're about four times as big. You know, some sailors get off a boat, and they walk up to this big group of birds that don't fly away from them, and they whack one of them on the head and take it back and eat it, and they think, oh, that's great. I think we'll do that again tomorrow night. And then they invite all their friends to the party. Okay, so you don't have dodo birds. and several kinds of pigeons and various different things are extinct. Tons of creatures are extinct. you still got a bunch of really big lizards, but these that don't have that we've kind of defined out of existence, they're, they're gone. And we've got to know how they would have gotten on the ark. Do you know that the largest dinosaur egg we've ever found was about 24 inches long? They found a 
an alligator that weighed 2,000 pounds that was 24 feet long. That's eight yards. That's eight big steps. I don't even think I've got that up here. One, two, three, four. So this is half of that. You know how big an alligator that weighs 2,000 pounds is 24 feet long? You know how big it starts? Six inches. Would there have been any problem with God have, having brought small dinosaurs to Noah to put on that ark? No. In fact, it would have answered many problems for space and food. And the biggest dinosaurs we've ever seen start out no longer than a space of 24 inches that they could be curled up in, maybe a few inches longer than that, but only weighing a few pounds. Here's what I think is so incensing to me. God created every single creature on this planet to do one thing, including humans, to bring glory to God. The reason you're alive is so you can say to the world, look at me, I'm trying to reflect what God does. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and you glorify God in heaven. The whole point is, don't see me, you see God. The whole point of a tiny hummingbird that's fascinatingly put together so that it can hover perfectly and yet look like it's not even moving and you can't even see its wings. The whole point is, God's smart enough to make this. What was the original intent that God had for dinosaurs? Look at this creature that I made at the same time as you. And you see how awesome it is and you know how awesome I am. And yet we have been scared to take our children and put them on our lap and say, let me tell you about God's dinosaurs. And we've let people with a godless agenda steal some of God's most amazing creatures from us and use them to teach there is no God. And it's time we as New Testament Christians who appreciate and love our awesome creator change that situation. And we take dinosaurs back and we use them for what they were initially intended to be used for. And that is to say, do you see this creature? God made this creature. God is awesome. And God loves you very much. Let's take our dinosaurs back and use them for what they are originally designed to be used for. Okay, well... That is our lesson on dinosaurs. Let me tell you a couple things. Uh, we have a book on about a sixth grade level titled Dinosaurs Unleashed that has been historically one of our most often distributed books because of the keen insight and amazing writing abilities of the author and or authors. Or there's a picture of a Tyrannosaurus Rex on the front. You, you make your decision as to why this book sells and is distributed so widely. This book goes through what we've done here this afternoon. Uh, we also have an adult book called Dinosaur Delusion in which we deal with it on more of an upper adult type college level and put all of the references and things from the scientific writings and the historic writings, etc. So those would be the two resources that deal with this subject. Now what I'd like to suggest to you as a parent, grandparent, uncle, aunt, etc., is your kids are going to know about dinosaurs. They're going to know what a pachycephalosaurus is, whether you like it or not. They need to know about dinosaurs from a perspective that gives God glory. And the real question is, are you actively looking to provide your kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, etc., with information that will be God-glorifying about his world and especially dinosaurs? Because museums, books, magazines, videos, etc. are going to teach them about it. And you've got to know that. Are you actively trying to make sure they get the real story from a biblical, truly historic perspective? And I would encourage all of you to do that because really, it's the number one ask question we get at Apologetics Press. And the reason for that is because it's just so popular. Kids love it so much, love dinosaurs and the topic so much, they're going to find answers. And most of the answers they find are wrong. So let's make sure we give them what they need in regard to right answers.
Now, I've gone just a little bit over, so we're going to come back in 10 minutes, which is going to be at 2.20. I'm going to come back at 2.20. Is that good, Bill? And we will take up our next question at 2.20 and take you a stretch break, and we'll see you back here in about 10 minutes.